Good morning. I know exactly why there's so much warfare, because <clears throat> there's one thing that the enemy... What is this for? <laughs> one thing that the enemy... Several areas that the enemy really attacks. One is your time in the Word. Another one is your time in prayer. And, and another one is how you get through a trial. So we're addressing all those things this weekend. And, and he's, he's angry. So he's running around, keeping people awake, um, doing all the stupid things that he does. Um, because he knows he's in trouble. Because we're committed to what we're going to do this weekend. And that is to cause you, to force you, to draw you closer and closer to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> Michelle was sweet in in introducing us, um, but uh, let me tell you a little bit more about myself, and here's why, because can you even see over there, because it's so dark, can you see your Bibles, can you, right there, this little group right there, it's light over on this side, but it's really dark over there, unless my, unless I'm having a stroke and I only see over there, but anyway, because when I go to hear a speaker that I've maybe not heard before, um, I spend probably the first 10 or 15 minutes of whatever it is she's saying, not really listening to her, but wondering things about her. Important, deep, spiritual things like, is that her real hair color? How, how old is that woman? You know, where did she get her shoes? Those, those, do you agree? Those kind of things. Okay, so if any of you are wondering those non-consequential things about me, I'm just going to tell you that stuff so that we can move on. This is not my real hair color. I think now my hair color, my hair is probably pretty white if I were to, to let it go. I know that's alarming. I'm old. I'm really old. I'm older than I'd ever thought I would be. And I didn't think getting old would be like this either. I thought it would, I, I can remember looking at my mother and going, do something. <clears throat> you know, and now here I am and I don't know what to do to make this any better <clears throat> than it was. Um, I've been married to the same man twice. Not everybody can say that. Uh, we have, uh, oh really, there's somebody over there in the dark, yes, who raised her hand. Um, we have uh, five children, we have uh, 20 grandchildren, five great-grandchildren. Um, let's see, what else do you know about me? Oh, no, I got my shoes, which aren't even cute, um, for $9. I know somebody actually stood up to look. No, they're not cute. Um, <clears throat> on Amazon because I needed some flats. And then I sit down next to Bethany who has these adorable shoes and Michelle who has these cute boots. But um, I'm old, so I need flats. Um, <clears throat> see, what else do you need to know about me? I'm 5'8", and I weigh 110. <clears throat> Why are you laughing? Actually, I'm 5'9". I lied about my height. <laughs> but my weight was right on. <clears throat> But the way I really like to introduce myself is this phrase I heard from this man who'd been, this black man who'd been homeless on the street, and he got radically saved at this outreach, and they kept calling him to churches and asking him to share, and they'd give these glowing reports about him and introductions to him, and he would get up and say, here's the way I want to introduce myself. I'm just nobody who's here to tell everybody that there's somebody who can save anybody. So let that be my introduction of myself. I am just a nobody, but I am here this morning to talk to you about being a woman of the word. 
Last night, we saw Christ's prayer for us. How sweet that he prayed for us, that he prayed for his disciples. But not only that, he prayed for those to come. That would be you and I. He prayed for us that we would be one in him. And he promised that he would continue to pray this prayer when he got in the, prom- in the presence of the Father in heaven. Which made me think last night as I was falling asleep that because we are here and we're talking about this now, I think he's talking also, praying right now to the Father about this oneness that he desires for you and I. And um, Michelle shared just a few minutes ago, and I, and I was going to share this too, so I'll just reiterate this, that the work of oneness, it is done. It was accomplished on the cross by the death of our Savior, by the offer of salvation that he presents to us. It broke down all the barriers. It closed all the distance between you and God the Father. It is done. It is accomplished. Now we just have to move into that place and take advantage of it. But I am now, because of what Jesus did, I'm safe. I'm in. I'm counted among those who will go into his presence. I used to worry about how unworthy I am, and I used to worry about when I got to heaven that I know that it says that I'm going to have to stand before the Father and that everything about me, he will know. He will see me as I am. He will know every mistake I've made. He's kept a record of every word I've spoken. That's really scary. Um, And and, and I, I used to worry that I would stand there and he would look at me and I would feel so unworthy and I would know there's not a chance that he's going to say, come in to me. Not a chance. I'm still a ruined sinner. I've made so many mistakes. I have failed in in so many areas. I have not represented him as I should. And I could imagine myself standing there like that, so overcome with my guilt and my shame. And then one night I had this dream that I was standing before him. Same scenario. I was not going to be able to go in. And then in my dream, Jesus walked up next to me and he put his arm on me. And he looked at God the Father and he said, take her. She's mine. That's all you need. He's going to take me because I'm his and he died for me. But this oneness is kind of like my marriage. Uh, My husband and I have been married uh, almost 52 years. We put all the time together of the two marriages. Um, It's a fact that we're married. We are one according to what God says about marriage. We are now one in him. But my relationship with him, my oneness with him, happens not just in the factual, but in the everyday occurrences of Mike and I being together, talking together, praying together. And over these years, I have come to know him and to love him. And we have become now more one than ever. In fact, those of you who are are newly married, let me just say to you, it gets better and better and deeper and deeper as the years go by. There is a sweetness in our relationship as we grow old together, as we watch our children in their lives, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, there is this depth, this oneness that has occurred. And the same thing happens in my relationship with God. It is factual, but now I want to make it practical. And I want to make it practical by my time in the Word. C.S. Lewis said this, kind of a harsh statement. I read this to Bethany this morning. I wondered whether I should read it to you, but I'm going to anyway, because I don't want to... um, I don't want you to miss anything that God has for you this morning. C.S. Lewis says this, the Christian way is difficult. It's different. It's harder. 
Christ says, give me all. I don't want just so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it. I want to have it out. Hand over your whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones that you think wicked. The whole outfit, give it to me. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will will become yours. And that is the work that God wants to do with us. It's painful. It's hard. It requires self-sacrifice. It requires death to self. It requires picking up our cross and dying and following him. But that is God's plan. And I don't want to miss any of God's plan. So this relationship can be fostered in these two ways that I get to talk about. One is fostered by the word, and the other one, which I will talk about tonight, is fostered and grown by prayer. (coughs) Although I will never thirst again for salvation, my thirst, my need, my desire for God is ongoing. In fact, as I get older, I seem to need him more than I ever have before. This thirst for my salvation was met by Jesus, but my thirst for him is ongoing. It is deeper. It is more urgent than ever because I have learned that nothing else, no one else will satisfy me. No one else can sustain me. No one else strengthens me. No one else sweetens my life. No one else gives me songs in the night. This is my relationship with God that I need to work on. And yet, how easily am I distracted? Distracted from him, distracted from the word. I feel like Tozer, Tozer wrote this. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Oh God, Tozer prays, begin In mercy, a new work of love in me, say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise up and follow you from this misty low land where I have wandered so long. God wants us deeper. He wants us nearer. He wants us dearer to him. This message this morning from me about the word is intensely personal to me, but I know that nothing I say, no words that I give to you, no retreat actually, no book that you could buy, nothing that I can do will cause you to want this oneness with him through his word. I know that this morning I am completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to do that work in you, and I am trusting that he will do it. I am trusting that right as you sit here this morning, he's going to say to you, you are not in my word enough. You have not made the time for me that you need to make. 
You have not been a student. You have not been a meditator. You have not been a memorizer. Get busy. We are in the last days. Regular study of the word is not going to cut it at this time. You need to go deeper than you ever have before. And he will do everything he can to convince you of that and to convict you of that. He will break down all the barriers, all the obstacles to get you to draw close to him. Mike and I were in China years and years ago. It was China had just opened to the Western world prior to our visit. There really, excuse me, had been no Westerners in China at all. In fact, we were one of the first groups to arrive. And, uh, And we went to smuggle Bibles. Now, smuggling Bibles scared me to death because I have a guilty face. Um, and, and, when we're, and we're going through um, security when we got to, to China, and they're going through all their, all their stuff. I just wanted to confess, I have Bibles. <laughs> Take me now. You know, and, and, they, and they opened up Mike's suitcase, and they, they just looked at it and closed it and moved him on. And then I was behind him, and they opened on my, suitca- my suitcase, and they went through every single thing. And I had Bibles in my socks, in my underwear. And even though they touched all those things, they didn't find them at all. And Mike was gone. He'd gotten on the bus. And I went, they're going to take me to prison. And he's just going to go on, never realize that I'm not with him. So, But I got through, too. And we went and we waited because there was going to be this meeting of us and these Chinese Christians um, to give them the Bibles. So we waited two or three days. We pretended to be tourists. And then one night, um, our... The person who took us on Brother Andrew's team came to us and said, tonight's the night we're going to go. So put all the Bibles that you can into a backpack or into a carry-on or whatever and follow me. And we took our, our bus and we went and then we walked several miles down this long, dark road into this alley and we just waited. And I was scared to death. I was just scared to death. I, 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 my, my husband has no fear. I'm all about fear. Because, you know, cause there's a lot to be afraid of, is there not? So anyway, I I was so fearful. And we all just stood there, and we were told to to come to this place and just to stand and wait. And there was no noise. There were no cars that arrived. But all of a sudden, we could hear these footsteps and this, like, rustling and hustling of these Chinese Christians who arrived where we are. And each one of them, and they had walked for miles. In fact, one told the girl that she was talking that they'd walked all day. And and each one came up to one of us, and we were to hand them what we had. And so up to me, tall, walks this little Chinese woman who couldn't have been 4'10". In fact, I, I've been looking for somebody to come and get my Bibles, and I realized she was right beside me. She was so little. <clears throat> and um, And she very quietly took my backpack off my shoulder and put it on hers. And it was, it was heavy. I could hardly carry it. And I looked at her, and I said, oh said, this burden, it's too heavy for you. And she looked at me and said, this is the lightest burden I bear to carry God's word. Do you treasure God's word like that? Do you, I have Bibles in almost every room in my house. I have Bibles in a thousand different forms and translations and covers and I'm always ordering a new one because I mark up the old one and, and then it came in a cool blue cover so I had to have that one. I have, a, I have a collection of Bibles. I have some that are hundreds of years old that Mike and I bought in Scotland and brought home. I have Bibles everywhere but do I treasure them <clears throat> as this little Chinese woman did? 
I want you to be a woman of the word like never before. I want you to memorize it and share it and speak about it with each other because your spiritual health and your spiritual growth depends upon it. And you know what? Honestly, I don't care how busy you are. I don't care if you have little kids at home. When I was first saved, I really didn't think that, and my husband immediately went into the ministry. I figured that he was going to be the Bible student, and I was just going to be the mom and the house cleaner. And, and I thought that really when I got to heaven, <clears throat> that I would just go in on his coattails um, because he was a man of the word. And I, I would take my Bible to church, and maybe I would pick it up occasionally. And you know what happened to me in, in those first few years as a new Christian? I did not grow. In fact, I became weak. I became carnal because I did not have the word of God in me. And one day God just woke me up and said, you get up and you get up before your kids if you have to. And don't worry if they get up and they join you there because he said, you tell them this, there's lap space in the holy place. Bring them in, pull them onto your lap, show them, read to them what you're reading. You have no excuse. You are not too busy. I don't care if you work all day, you come, you are not too busy. This is one of the most important things that you can do is to be serious about studying God's word. Find a way. Make a place. I don't care how you do it. I don't know where, care where you do it, but you must do it. And if you've never been serious about it before, then that's why you're here, and that's why you didn't sleep, and that's why there's all this warfare, because Satan knows when you get into God's word, you are going to be forever changed. And not only that, you are going to forever change those you are around, because now you're going to have God's word to speak to them. I, I very rarely do I not use in the afternoon what I read in the morning. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's crazy. Somebody will call me, they'll need something, and I will go, oh, wait a minute. I just, I just read this morning about this. God's word is incredible. It is supernatural. Find a way. Don't get discouraged. I have a one-year Bible, and sometimes I miss a couple days, and I think, I can't do the one-year Bible. And then, and then I just I get discouraged, and I put it down, and God will say, well, just pick it up and just open up today's reading. Don't, don't feel like you've got to go back a month and try to make up for all the time. Just, just do it. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged. God uses his written word. And, and I know that many of you are probably looking on your phones or looking on your iPad. Nothing the matter with that. But you also should have a real Bible, a real Bible with pages and a cover that you can mark up that you can carry around, that will become your lifeline to him. He uses his word to unite us to him and to draw us to him, and also to unite us with one another. It is this amazing, magical, unbelievable, supernatural book. I mean, I can't believe that after all these years, I'm still reading it, and I'm totally surprised by what I read. Sometimes I think he changed it. It it didn't say that yesterday. I'm finding something new in it almost every day because it is supernatural. It is God-breathed. Is that a word, or would it be breath? Yeah, okay. Um, It has the power to draw us to him. It has the power to transform us and to conform us to him. Don't think that you don't, just because you don't feel like or or that you don't think you need it or that you don't have the time or that you don't understand some of what you read, that that is any excuse for you not studying God's word. Don't say to yourself, I'm okay for now. I'm okay for now. 
Because a storm is going to come and trouble is going to come and you're going to need God's word. And sometimes your for nows become your forevers without you ever realizing that you have missed all this time and all this depth with him. You need it. You need to study it. You need to study it to show yourself approved. You need the wisdom of it to raise your kids. This is the time. This is the year. This is the place for you to make a new commitment to the study of God's word. It will inspire you. It will interrupt you. It will intercept you. It'll interfere with your life and draw you away from yourself and to him. God's word shows us who we are. It shows us who he is. It shows us how we are to live. And I think, and this, there's been all these studies done about the church in America today that for the most part, and I would not say this about Calvary's, definitely not my church or your church, but many Christians are just simply biblically illiterate. They don't know God's word. And sometimes I think we're just too easily satisfied We settle for a second-hand knowledge. And I know that you go to a church where your pastor is passionate about God's word and his wife. But that's not enough. You cannot live on Sunday morning or midweek or a ladies' Bible study. This has to be personally a decision that you make for yourself. In this book is a complete diet for you. My mother always used to tell me, you are what you eat. So I become a french fry you, <clears throat> or a burger or whatever. And, and that is true spiritually. We, this, is, this is food for us. And we are what we eat from this. And you need the whole thing. You need the Old Testament because it's like roughage. When you read of the judgments of God, of even the anger of God in the Old Testament... It's roughage. You know what roughage does? It eliminates. And the roughage of the Old Testament can be an eliminator of sin in your life. You also need the sweetness of the Psalms, the vitamins and the minerals of Proverbs, the protein of the epistles, the sweetness and the wonderfulness of the gospel. The whole counsel of God is what you need. All of it. It will give you spiritual health. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever fasted, but we used to do a week of fasting at our church, and um, I didn't want to fast because I didn't want to be hungry. Um, So uh, Mike was a good faster, and Mike said to me once, well, just do a liquid fast. Um, So I did milkshakes. That was a liquid, right? And I felt great the entire week. And then he said, no, I want you to get more serious about that. Um, why don't you try to really fast? So, <clears throat> so I did, and I saw something really interesting about fasting, and this is a, physiologically, this, this is true. The first two or three days of fasting, you are incredibly hungry. You're just hungry. You can't, in, in fact, first three days, I watched the Food Network. I, if I couldn't eat food, I wanted to at least see food. And, but then something strange happens after the third day, and this was a week-long fast. Your hunger subsides. And you no longer feel hungry. You just don't. You're still thirsty because your need for water remains, but you no longer feel hungry. Same thing happens to you when you fast off of God's word. When you first miss a couple days, 
you say, oh, I've got to get back in this word. But I tell you, time goes by, and you are going to lose your hunger for it. And God's going to have to bring something into your life to wake you up and to show you how malnourished you are. You need to feast on it every day. You need to wake up hungry for it. You need to eat it and chew it and take it into your very being. Think of it. We have this whole thing in for you and I to feast on. Don't neglect your study of God's word. You need to delight in it. I love Psalm 1. It says in his law he meditates. That's his mind coming into play. But not just delighting on it in his mind. He delights on it in his heart. So his mind and his heart is also involved. And then his will is involved because now he's going to be obedient to it. That's what happens when you study God's word. Your heart loves it. Your mind studies it. Your will continues in it day and night. And you become a doer of the word. And sometimes meditation is the bridge between hearing and doing. And sometimes in the morning there will just be one verse that just grabs me. And I will just take it and I will meditate on it and I will chew on it the entire day. Chewing on what God's word is what takes it into our being. Jeremiah said, I have found your word and I did eat it. And it was to me the joy and rejoicing of my soul. Psalm 119 says that we can sing the word, we can speak the word, we can study the word, we can store up the word, we can obey the word, and we can praise God for the word. God's word explains him to us. It shows us his holiness and his justice and his goodness and his sovereignty and his mercy and most of all, his love. God says in his word that his word is a weapon It's a sword, it's a shield, it's a light, it's a lamp, it's a path, it's milk, meat, and water. It's a balm, it's a judge, it's a seed. It gives correction and direction. It displays God's exquisite plan of salvation. It lays bare his heart before us of his mercy and his love and his grace and his long-suffering. In this book are love stories There's weddings, there's romance, there's deception, there's intrigue, there's births and deaths, there's kings and shepherds, there's rich and poor, there's good men and bad bad men. But also in this word is treasures to be found and mysteries revealed and lessons to be learned, songs to sing and prayers to pray. God's word to me, it has comforted me. It has counseled me, it has convicted me, it has corrected me, it has often consoled me, it's confronted me with myself, it has changed me, and it is, whether I see it or not, conforming me into his image. God's word is help for the helpless, it's hope for the hopeless, it's strength for the weak. God's word has led me home when I was lost and brought me back when I have drifted away. Do you know there's a psalm that says that God keeps track of my wanderings? How scary is that? Every time I wander away, God's keeping track of that. 
He knows where I've been, how far I, away I am from him. I talk, took my little grandkids to the, my granddaughters, <clears throat> to the beach once, and they were they were little, and they were riding their boogie boards just on the whitewash at the beach in San Diego. And so I took my beach chair right down to where they are, should they need me. I didn't want anything to happen to them when they were under my care. And and <clears throat> funny thing about the ocean is that they would go in at one spot, and I would watch them as they moved down the beach because there's a drift to the ocean. And when they would get out. They'd be in another spot, but I never took my eyes off them. And so when they came out of the water, I would run down to where they were, and I would bring them back, and we would start again. And about the third trip down, the youngest one, Whitney, looked at me, and she said, she said, Grammy, why do you move every time I go in the water? And I said, I'm not moving. You are moving. And it is possible for you and I to drift away. He's keeping track of those wanderings, that's, that drifting. But he never takes his eyes off of you. And when you come out, he's going to be right there to bring you back where you are. I have learned in God's word that he is able. I love Psalm 145. He's able to uphold the fallen. He's able to raise the bowed down. He's able to feed the hungry, to satisfy, to fulfill desires, to save those that cry. Is that just a sweet verse? Verse nine, To save those that cry, to preserve those that love him. God's word, there's so much in it for you not only read it, but start writing it down. When I started studying God's word, I got myself a bunch of notebooks. And if there was a fire in my house, I would probably go grab my Bible study notebooks before I would grab the photos of my kids. Because that's my life. And I would rather have those notebooks to hand to them than photos of them. Keep track of what you are learning. In God's word, I have learned that he knows my name that he has numbered my eyelashes and the, the hairs on my head. What time is it? I can't. Oh, oh, okay. Then I can tell you this little story about her husband, Philip, my little son. Um, I had broken my leg and um, fallen down my stairs, and uh, Philip was in kindergarten, and a little kid. Now he's gargantuan. <clears throat> but um, everybody would come home from school and go about their, their day, but Philip would come and I was in a hospital bed in our living room, and he would come and, and crawl into bed with me. I could not walk. I could not go anywhere. I'd had this crazy surgery, and I had this big, huge thing in my leg. But anyway, and, um, and he would just want to stay, and, and I would run out of things to do with him, and we'd sing, and we'd tell, he'd tell me about his day, and we'd talk, and then I'd kind of want him just to go. Um, go, go find your brother. Go, go find your daddy. Go do, do something. But he, he didn't want to leave. He just wanted to be with me. And, and one day I said to him, I said, Philip, I don't know what else to do. What should I do now? And he said, why don't you count my eyelashes? And I went, okay. So he closed his eyes, and I counted the one side, made up a number, counted the other side. He seemed totally satisfied with the whole thing. And I can remember his sweet little face and what it felt like to have my, my fingers on his cheek like that. And then he, after I was done, he popped up and went, okay, I'm going now. And he ran off. And I'm, I'm lying there thinking how sweet that was. I'm talking to the Lord. And I said, how sweet was that? I'll never forget. I'll never forget that, that moment with him ever when he's big and tall and grown and, and doesn't need me anymore. I'll remember that day. And the Lord said to me, close your eyes. I want to count your eyelashes. That's the kind of relationship he wants to have with you. He wants to get his hands on you. 
He wants to put his fingers on your cheek. He wants you to be still before him. He knows the number of my eyelashes. He knows my thoughts before I think them, my prayers before I pray them. I have learned in the word that he knows my every hurt, my every fear, my every failure. He knows every broken place in me. He never gives up on me. He sees into the corners of my heart, and he loves me still. I know from God's word that he is faithful to lead me and to guide me and to wash me and to cleanse me. I know from God's word that he keeps my tears in a bottle, that he stores my prayers in some kind of beautiful heavenly bowl. I know from God's word that his heart, his thoughts towards me outnumber all the sands and all the beaches in all the world. And I also know that he joys over me with singing. He sings over me. God's word knew every morning to me, fresh, real, unbelievably powerful to me every morning. I, need, I learn something new almost every day. In fact, just last week I was reading in Genesis and I saw for the first time, and I don't know how many times I've read Genesis, because I always start reading through the Bible in Genesis. Sometimes I give up. But so I've read Genesis probably almost all of my Christian life. First thing in January, I read Genesis. But I was in it last week looking for something else, and I noticed this, and I never saw it before. But in Genesis, when God, when God says to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, and he brings, he forms out of Adam's rib this beautiful creature, and he presents her to Adam, and he does this marriage ceremony, and everything's so glorious. You know what the next three words are when that is over? Now the serpent. Those are the next three words. Now, does that explain a lot about marriage or what? That really spoke to me, this beautiful thing that God designed. And then the next three words are now the serpent. And I just saw that. That changed everything for me. I'm going to not let that serpent into my marriage because that's another area of a battlefield for you is your marriage, your children. I've been working on some messages that I'm doing on the East Coast called But God. See, there's just so much. I'm sorry if I sound so enthusiastic, but I am so enthusiastic. And you know what I want to do? I want to make you jealous of me. I want to make you think, wait a minute. I want to find those things in God's word. I want to know those things. I want to share those things. And I know that there are many of you here who know God's word better than I do. But I'm talking about you flakes. I'm talking about you girls. I want to make you jealous of what I know. So I've been working on these messages called, But God. You just go and put that in your, look in your concordance and see how many times. But God is the whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And when you read it, it's so interesting because on the left side of the words, but God, is you and I, our human condition, our mess, our failings, our failures, our needs and everything on the left side. But on the right side of but God is what he does. It's amazing. Let me suggest that to you. Let me suggest that you become a woman who lives in the Psalms. I live in the Psalms. I love the Psalms. I pray the Psalms. I sing the Psalms. I rewrite the Psalms. I know I don't try not to change it because we're not supposed to change God's word. But I rewrite them in my own words. I wrote, rewrote Psalm 23 years ago about God being my shepherd and how what a lost little sheep I was. Make it yours. Grab onto it. Own it. Believe it. Read it. 
Do you know that it says in God's word, fear not? Guess how many times? 365 times. How many days are there in a year? Do you think God knows how fearful we can be? And I'm fearful. 361 for each day and an extra. God knows you. He knows what you need. He provides it for you. Oh, here's something else. I love all the time it says be in God's word. It says to be clean, to be reverent, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be still before him, to be patient, to be content, Uh to be bold, to be ready, to be attentive, to be joyful, to be thankful, to be totally, totally his. All the times God says, be, be this. Because it is so important to God, because he is so desperate for you to know him through his word, to unite with him in his word, to become one through his word, that he does create in you a longing that is born out of his longing for you. He longs for you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He knows where you are. He knows where you need to be. He wants to call you and draw you closer and nearer and dearer to him than you've ever been before. He doesn't want you to be satisfied or fulfilled with anything other than him. He is desperately in love with you. He's desperate for your time, desperate for your presence, desperate for your heart. I pray that you hear him this morning loud and clear, calling you, drawing you. But the best reason for me for reading God's word is it is the most beautiful love story that was ever written. It is a story of a love so deep, so sacrificial, so everlasting, so unconditional, so life-giving and life-changing, so life-saving. It is a love story of God's love for you, a love that nothing can separate you from, a love that no height or depth or principalities, even death cannot separate you from it, a love that God shows to you through his gift of Jesus Christ. I was reading yesterday, kind of preparing my heart for Easter, about Christ going to the cross. And I have always been, in the book of Hebrews, interested in this. It says, for the joy... For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy. And I've often thought reading through that or thinking about it on Easter or hearing a message on Easter, what was that joy? I mean, certainly the securing our salvation was joy. Certainly the resurrection was joy. Certainly going up to heaven and being with his father again was the joy. But then I was reading in the book of Jude, and it says, to, it says this, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. And all of a sudden I realized I'm the joy. I was the joy set before him. Me. 
you, my salvation, my life with him. And then it goes on to say, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power. That joy set before him, that's the love story. It was me. But it's not only a love story, it is Jesus. In the first chapter of John, the book that we're studying, John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in him was light and life. So this Bible actually is living with Christ. Christ lives in here. He was the word of God in the beginning, And then last night before I went to bed, I read this. He will be the word of God at the end. In the book of Revelation, John writes this. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was righteous and true, his eyes like a flame of fire, and on his head many crowns. And he had a name no one knew but himself. He was clothed in a robe that was dipped in blood, and his name is called what? The Word of God. He was at the beginning, he was in the middle, and he will be at the end. Don't you want to know him like you've never known him before? This God of yours. Would you just take a moment, and I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to sit down, but would you just take two or three minutes and recommit yourself to this? Tell him how sorry you are. This is something you neglect. Ask him to create this hunger within you that you cannot deny, that you cannot fill with anything else but him. And then go home and do it like you've never done it before. Jesus, thank you that you prayed for us that you prayed for us. You prayed for the disciples and you prayed for those to come. Us, you prayed for us that we would be one with you, one with the Father, one with each other. And then you provided these amazing ways for us to do that, for you to accomplish that in our lives. And this beautiful way of being in your word that draws us into your presence, Lord, that shows us who you are. Please create in us, in me, a new hunger, thirst, desire to study your word like I've never studied it before, to memorize it, to share it, to speak it, to teach it, whatever you call me to do, Lord. Make these women unsatisfied with anything else but a true, living, ongoing, deep relationship with you through your word. And we ask these things in your name the word at the beginning, and the word of God at the end. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.